You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Morning, y'all. What do you think about... It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Man. I sang that in two keys right then. You but did. It's brutal, isn't it? I yeah. mean, like every chance we get to open the doors and do something to bring people in, it's like... We kind of picked the lousiest... We have the lousiest timing. We do. We chose a weekend when it's going to snow to go back to two services. Is that Big Dan back there? Is it? Oh, Hide behind man. that mask? Big Dan's a survivor. Yeah. Of the... Of the COVID. Yeah. And, uh, man, he had a bad one. Uh, yeah, but I wasn't in the, I, Dan was in the hospital. Yeah, I mean, he was, in, he was on death's door. It was not good. And uh, we're thankful to the Lord uh, for that. I was in death's address book, but I wasn't, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, whatever. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 3 because we are continuing what we started last week. Last week we started a new series that we've titled Identity Crisis. And our entire text for last week, this week, and three more weeks that are following are going to be in Exodus 3. And I told you that you're going to know Exodus 3 inside out by the time that we finish. Because Exodus 3 is one of those seminal passages in the Scripture that gives us so much information. It's that encounter that Moses had with God uh, at the burning bush. We've heard the story. You may not remember all the details, but what was happening in Exodus chapter 3 is that Moses was actually in, we could call it, we would use the terminology identity crisis. Mm -hmm. Because you see, he had so many things going on in his life. First, he was born a Hebrew, but then he was raised, as you remember, as an Egyptian in the Pharaoh's court, in the royal court. Now he's a fugitive from Egypt, and he's fled from Egypt as a fugitive. He's on the backside of Midian. He's gotten married, and he's keeping his daddy-in-law's sheep. Now, I can bet you that when Moses was uh, in Pharaoh's court, he never dreamed that someday he'd be working for his daddy-in-law. I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of a nightmare, isn't it, for most young men. And, uh, and, but here he is, and he had to be asking this existential question we talked about last week. Who am I? In other words, what is my life come to? What is my life's purpose? What is going, what is happening in my life? And in fact, in our text, we'll get to it next week, he actually did ask that question, who am I? But before we get that, God begins to give him an answer to a question that really needs to be answered before that last one of who am I is who are you? In other words, we have to get that part of it right before we can really come to have a healthy understanding of who we are. So God is revealing himself to Moses here at the burning bush. He is kind of giving him a picture of who he is. And, in, and so in this text, as he reveals himself, we're, we're giving you three words that kind of encapsulate the things that God revealed to Moses about himself. Okay? And they answer the question, who is God? So if somebody asks you a question, who do you think God is? If you'll memorize these three words and their meaning, you can impress your friends with them. Okay? Wow. They are not words that appear in the Bible. They are concepts. And so we have created these big fancy theological terms to encapsulate what each one of them means. God is omnipotent for the Southerners. That's omnipotent, okay? 
And he is omniscient. Omnipotent means he's sovereign. There's nothing he cannot do. He is omniscient. He knows everything. And he is omnipresent. So last week, we talked only about that first one, that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. That is who he is. So we also answered the question, what does that mean for me? Well, we covered that last week. If God is sovereign, then I am secure in him and his purpose. If God is sovereign... When he calls me, he also sets me apart for his purpose. Now, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because we flesh that out, what all of that means. So God is omnipotent. So that begins to, that begins to define God. And when we understand him, it also begins to define us. If he is omnipotent, then I am secure in that omnipotence and I am set apart by his omnipotence for his purpose. Now, this morning we're going to move on to the next one, and this one is omniscient. And I don't have a southern pronunciation for this one. If somebody can come, omniscience? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If it's omniscience, then we can say omniscience. He's he's omniscience. Yeah. Okay, that's how how Earl Earl would do it. Okay, and what does that mean? Well, if he's omnipotent, that means I am secure. He is omniscient, therefore... I am safe. And we have to really move on today because we do have a, a brick wall facing us because we are having a second service. So yeah. we have to finish here we have to do this at 10.15. That's really a bummer. Man. Because we've really had this kind of, you know, y'all have been giving us 10 or 15 extra minutes. We don't have that anymore today. So here we are. Moses, as the story unfolds, Moses is keeping the sheep. He sees this bush that is burning. And remember we talked about it last week. And it's not consumed And so Moses says, I must turn aside and see this incredible thing that's going on. And out of that bush, God speaks to him and told him last week, remove your sandals because you're on holy ground. That's right. And it's holy ground because it is ground that God declares holy. It is ground that the sovereign God himself is now occupying. And Derek kind of unfolded that last week. What this says is it is always God that determines how we must approach him. We don't get to decide how we approach the sovereign God. He determines how we are to approach Him. Moses, if you're going to approach me, take your sandals off because you are on holy ground. The New Covenant tells us that we must approach God. How? Only through Jesus. God has determined the way. He is sovereign. I've provided the way. If you will come to me, and the only way you can come to me is to come to me through my son Jesus. So Moses is beginning to get this message. Okay, so Moses removes his sandals, and now the dialogue continues. And it's almost as if you can imagine that, that Moses is going, I don't know who this is, but this is somebody that's talking to me. Because at this point, he really probably has not really identified who this is. And so God, who knows all things, he's omniscient, he knows what Moses is thinking, so God kind of jumps to ahead of him. In verse 6, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. Okay, that settles it, right? I am the God of your father, and I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, God is identifying to Moses, Moses, I am him. I am the living God. I am the one true God. Now notice what God says next to him after this. Verses 7 through 9. Let's read them together. The Lord said, 
I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to that land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jezebite and any other ite that's there. <laughs> Although that's not said. In other words, there's, there's, some, there's some folks living in this land that I promised to your father Abraham. Remember, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember that? Remember I promised this land to your father Abraham? Well, I have come down now. I've heard the cries of my people. And I am about to remove them from this oppression and take them into this land. So behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now get this. The Hebrews by this time had been in bondage for centuries, four centuries, as a matter of fact, the scripture tells us. In fact, they were put into bondage when Joseph died, remember? And a new Pharaoh came to power who didn't know Joseph because Joseph was in favor and the Hebrew people were living there in Egypt in favor. But a new guy says he didn't know who Joseph was and they eventually imprisoned or enslaved the Hebrew people. And so for these centuries, God's people have been at hard labor, building projects, making bricks and building palaces and anything that the Pharaohs wanted done Egyptians didn't have to do the work because they had all of these Hebrew slaves in Egypt to do. So what do you think these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these people who knew the living God, the one and the true God, what do you think they've been doing for all of these centuries in bondage? They have been crying out to this God, deliver us. They have been crying out, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, deliver us from this slavery we're in and lead us into that land that you promised centuries ago to our father, Abraham. So year after year, they're crying out to God, deliver us. Decade after decade, they're crying out, God, deliver us. Generation after generation, they're crying out, God deliver us century after century. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob deliver us. Yet they're still in bondage. They've not been delivered. Now, do you think that the Hebrew people were beginning to have some questions? I mean... Been calling this number for a long time and no one's answering. Nobody is answering. Four centuries, four, that's longer than America has been in existence. They're in bondage to these evil slavers, the Egyptians, crying out, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, deliver us. And they get up the next morning and there is no deliverance and they're still making bricks. They had to be asking the question, we cry out, but he doesn't deliver us. Now, folks, this was going on for four centuries. We pray in the morning, and if God hadn't come to the rescue by noon, 
Where is he? Where is God? This is four centuries. What do we start doing? We start going, do you hear? Do you hear what's, what I'm saying? Are you aware of my situation? Do you even care? You're so spiritual, none of you have ever asked that question, have you? Well, God's people for four centuries, and now Moses, in this identity crisis, identifying himself now as a Hebrew, but a fugitive from Egypt, not even being able to be around the Hebrew people. What is going on? God, what are you up to? Do you care? Do you hear? You getting this? So God answers three important questions for him. He says, in verse 7, he says, I have seen. This is about his omniscience. He's saying, for four centuries, yes, I have seen. I've watched this. I've seen the affliction of my people. What's he doing, folks? He's assuring Moses that the plight of his people has not escaped him. He says, I'm aware. I have seen. And the omniscience of God, get this, means that nothing escapes his notice. And the first thing we struggle with is the very first place we go in difficulty. When things aren't quite working out the way that we had them planned out, or we prayed them out, or we want them to come together, is, Lord, are you aware of this? Do you see what's going on in my life? And God says, I have seen. It never has escaped my notice. Psalm 94 verse 9 says it this way. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? <laughs> Love that. Planted. God says, do you have ears? Where'd you get those ears? I gave them to you. Do you think I don't hear? He who planted the eye, singular, <laughs> God has compassion. You have two eyes. Just, it's just one of them doesn't well, work Well, it works well. one at a time. <laughs> yeah. So it's only one at a time. He who planted the eye, does he not see? Hebrews 4.13 puts it this way. There is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And then Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 27, he just brings it right down to the nub. He says, he asks this question. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? Why are you saying that? Well, why do we? <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? Why do we say that? Here it is. Because we are more focused on our agenda than on his. And, and there's a great deal of teaching and preaching in our day and time that says, you, you know, should be. I, yeah, I can bend God's agenda to my agenda because what I want is what really matters. And because we are so focused on our agenda, when God does not hop right to and do it on our time frame, then we start asking this question, do you hear, do you see, do you care? God says, oh yes, I see, I hear, and I care. And the sovereign God is working His purpose out, folks, for His purpose, not for yours. That's right. And not for mine. And we, we are so prone in our fallen nature that I really want to be God. I want to tell God what He needs to do. I want to tell Him when He needs to do it. And I want to tell Him where He is supposed to do it. 
And he bends his will to no one, for he is what? He is sovereign. He is omnipotent. But he is also omniscient. Because he does not operate on my time schedule does not mean that he does not see. It does not mean that he does not hear. It does not mean that he is not aware. He's reminding Moses of this. So not only has he seen, he says, but I've I've heard. I've I've been listening. Verse 7, he says, I've given heed to their cry. Yeah. I've heard their cry. I'm aware of their Suffering. That answers another question that we ask. We pray, but we don't see anything happening. And I've heard people say this before. You know, when I pray, I feel like there's a ceiling. (laughs) How many of you have ever said that? Well, you know what? God could care less about how you feel. Whether you think He hears or not, He does. He is omniscient. I have heard. That's a, that's a Mardell coffee cup if I've ever heard one. <laughs> God could care less about how you feel. Dr. James Reeves. You think that, do you think they would sell back boxes of those? <laughs> Morning devotional with my little God coffee. God could care less about how you feel. Well, obviously, that doesn't mean he doesn't care how we feel. But the, when it comes... When it comes... To accomplishing his will, he doesn't. That's true. Amen. For he is omnipotent. He is sovereign. He knows what he is doing. He knows when he will do it. He hears and he cares. <laughs> Psalm 22 verse 24 says, For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from them. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. Hmm. See, we, we interpret that because God doesn't immediately intervene that he doesn't hear that he doesn't care, that he's not aware. Verse, Psalm 34, verse 13, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So I can see, so God is saying to Moses, Moses, listen, I am omniscient, I hear, and I see. And then the third thing he says to him, and I have come down. In other words, I am now going to act. Well, it's about time, God. <laughs> I mean, it's only been four centuries Well, that's just a blink in the eye of the sovereign God because he has his purpose. You can almost hear Moses saying, well, it's about freaking time. I love this text in the New Testament, Galatians 4.4. I just put it down this morning. Speaking of the coming of Jesus, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. The Hebrews have been crying for the Messiah for centuries. For millennia. And it was only when the fullness of time had come, when God had orchestrated everything to that exact moment, then God sent forth His Son. What He's saying to Moses here is, Moses, this has not escaped me. I'm not unaware. I am not uncaring of my people. The fullness of time has come, and now I am here to act on their behalf. I am secure in His omnipotence. I am safe in his omniscience. Now folks, there are three groups of people here. There are some of you that are right now up to your ears in a difficult time. And right now you're asking, God, do you hear? Do you see? Do you care? And he's saying to you, I see, I hear, and I care. That's the first group of folks. Some of you are coming out of a difficult time. And you're rejoicing because you're saying, God has heard. God has seen. God has cared. God has acted. Well, he did all those things before he came to your rescue. Or 
Others of you are about to enter into a difficult time. And you're going, are you saying that 2021 is not going to be all puppy dogs and... It only took six days, y'all. Well, not for some of us. See, all three groups need to hear what Peter says. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Amen. And that word cast is only used two times in the New Testament. The other time that the Greek word that is translated as cast here is used is when Jesus told the disciples to go and get a donkey because he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it says, and they got the donkey and they threw their baggage onto this donkey's back. They cast it. Now when the scripture says that we cast, it means we don't fish because fishing we cast and we reel back. But you cast... And you leave them there. They threw their garments. I love the serenity prayer. And I'm skipping ahead real quick because Derek's got a lot of good stuff to say. Don't you? I do. God grant me the, secure, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. You see, when we cast our cares upon him, it does not mean that we stop caring. That's right. And it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. We are charged to change the things that we can. But we are charged also to, to lay upon His sovereignty the things that we cannot. So we cast them conclusively. We cast them com com completely. He ca says, cast all your cares. I heard it said this way one time. If it's big enough to be a problem, it's big enough to be a prayer. Mm. If it's big enough to be a problem, then it's big enough to be a prayer. It's big enough to cast upon him, and we're to do so confidently, for he sees and he cares. I love this Oswald Chambers, November 1. How many of you do the Oswald Chambers devotional book? November 1. Go to November 1 and read this. The first thing God does is get us grounded on strong reality and truth. That's a must. That's why we're always talking about get in God's word. He does this until our cares for ourselves individually have been brought into submission to His way for the purpose of His redemption. Why shouldn't we experience heartbreak? Through those doorways, God is opening up ways of fellowship with Him. Most of us collapse at the first grip of pain. We sit down at the door of God's purpose and enter a slow death through self-pity. Wow. Thank you, Oswald. <clears throat> yep. Yep. And all the so-called Christian sympathy of others helps us to our deathbed. <laughs> mm. When God is saying, I have a purpose for this suffering, all of our Christian brothers and sisters are around us saying, oh, God's going to pull you right out of this suffering. So we just help one another to our deathbed. Wow. But God will not. He comes with the grip of the pierced hand of His Son, as if to say, enter into fellowship with me through this suffering. Arise and shine. If God can accomplish His purposes in this world through a broken heart, then why not thank Him for breaking yours? God's people for four centuries have been crying out, Are you hearing do you hear? Do you care? God comes to Moses and says, yes, I hear, I care, and now I have come in the fullness of time. 
I have come. He will come and rescue, but it will be in the fullness of his time, not the fullness of ours. He is omniscient. I am safe. And last, he is omnipresent. Now, before we get into this last part of this text, we got to understand what this means. This is another one of those words that is, is really big and impressive sounding, but what does it mean that God is omnipresent? Simply put, it means that he's not bound to one specific place. It means that he is present in all places at one time. Now, this is a difficult doctrine for us to understand because there are times in the Scripture where it appears like God is in one specific place, doesn't it? The Garden of Eden, as Adam is in the garden, God is there in the garden walking with Adam. It seems like he's right there. Uh, with Abraham in Genesis 18, it says that God appears with, with two angels and that they appear as three men. And, and so if you were to ask Abraham, hey, hey, where is God right now? He'd be like, well, he's right there. Right? Uh, if you go to Isaiah 6, the prophet sees God sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple. Again, if you were to ask Isaiah, hey, where is God, Isaiah? He'd be like, I, I just told you where. He's in the temple on the throne. <laughs> He's high and lifted up. He's high and lifted up. So, so the omnipresence is hard because we read these certain texts and we're like, yeah, I mean, God seems like He's in one specific place. But then there are other texts that indicate otherwise. 1 Kings 8.27, Solomon, the king, is dedicating the temple, the temple where Isaiah saw God dwelling and on the throne, and Solomon is dedicating this temple where God is to dwell, and he says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. So all the people are like, yes, God is about to dwell in the temple. And Solomon's like, no, he's not. Yep, yep. This temple is way too small to contain God. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of Yahweh are in every place watching the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, 24, God says, can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? You see, yes. I, lo I love that meme. Yes. You're here doing this thing, and Jesus, oh, yeah, Jesus is, is just peeking around the corner. The absolutely. Saying, I see that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been. Wait a minute, that's not. That's Santa Claus. <laughs> Whenever God appears in one place, listen, this is important you understand this. It doesn't negate what the rest of Scripture says. Omnipot or the omnipresence doesn't say that God can't be in one specific place. What it says is he can be in all of the specific places at one time. Yeah. Now, this is a great thing. What does this have to do with our passage? It has to do with him accomplishing his purpose in our lives. Exodus 3, God has this purpose for Moses, this encounter with Moses in the burning bush. He calls Moses to Moses' purpose, his purpose for Moses. Exodus 3.10, God says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So this is God's purpose for Moses. You're going to go to Pharaoh, you're going to bring my people out of Egypt. You mean the Pharaoh that I'm running from? The Pharaoh that I'm running from. A absolutely. That wants to kill me? Now this brings up a good point. <laughs> we all want to know our purpose, don't we? Like, is there anyone in here that's like, nope, don't want to know it? No, we all want to know our purpose. Until but, it's something we don't want to do. Exactly. And, and, and so what happens is oftentimes we find out our purpose and then we wish we hadn't discovered it. Now, why is that the case? Two reasons why that's the case. One, it's because often God's purpose for my life is usually drastically different than my purpose for my life. 
right? And number two, it's because God's purpose for my life is usually a lot bigger than I think I can handle. And that is absolutely the case for Moses, especially the second one. Look at verse 11. This is Moses' response to, to God. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Okay, so, so let's just break this down for a minute. Here's Moses. He's suffering this identity crisis. He's probably asked a hundred times, how did I get here? Who am I? And God comes along and he says, hey, Moses, this is who you are. This is your purpose. Are you ready? You're going to go to the most powerful man in the entire world, Pharaoh, who also happens to be your family, who also happens to run the country that you're fleeing from because you're a fugitive who is guilty of murder, and you're going to tell him to let go of all of his free manual labor. It's going to basically sink his economy. You ready? Yeah. Ready to go, Moses? Sound good? Now, again, think... And Moses goes, who am I? Who am I? He asked the wrong question. Absolutely. Because God's already told him, no, it's not about who you it's are, it's about who about I who am. Are. It's about who I am. Okay, so, so here's the deal. Why does Moses say, who am I? What is he really conveying to God? He's not really asking, who am I? What he's saying is, I know who I am, and I'm not capable of that. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. This is too difficult. This is too difficult for me to handle. How many of you have ever been tasked by God to do something that you thought, this is just too difficult? I want, to, I want to give you a principle here. Just pause here for a moment before we get back to, to Moses' story. Because I think this is an important principle for, for Christians to understand. If you can connect with this, it will revolutionize the way that you view your life as a disciple of Jesus. Let me give you a principle. You can't choose whether life will be difficult or not. But you can choose which difficult you will embrace. <laughs> Let me say that again. You can't choose whether life will be difficult or not, but you can choose which difficult you will embrace. You get to choose your difficult. Not knowing your purpose in life, wandering around aimlessly, wondering who you are is difficult, right? Knowing your purpose is also difficult. You don't get to choose one that's not, they're both hard, but you get to choose which one you'll embrace. You can either continue wandering aimlessly or you can walk in your purpose. Living your life on your own, making your own decisions, being the captain of your own destiny is difficult, right? But following Jesus is difficult. So you get to choose your difficult here. Having a marriage that is broken and ends in divorce is difficult. Doing the hard work to have a healthy marriage is difficult. Choose your difficult. You choose your difficult. There's a, this is a principle that operates in every part of your life, spiritually, physically, so on and so forth. You choose your difficult. There's a myth, I think, in the church that Christianity is somehow going to solve all of life's difficulties for me. It's not. You mean... This is not my best life this now. This is not your best life now. This is not your best life now. Oh, no. God could care less about how you feel. No, so t- <laughs> There's two coffee cups. Yeah. They're going to go, who would want to go to that church? This is not motivational. <laughs> oh, this is not good. No, yeah, th- this is knowing your purpose, walking in your purpose is difficult. You get to choose your difficult. It will, it will almost always actually be more difficult following Jesus than not. But here's the catch. It's also more rewarding. It's more rewarding in the present. It brings fulfillment in this present life. Even through struggle, even through difficult times, circumstances, we can still say, we can still rejoice that God is working through us. But it also is more rewarding eternally. We get to spend eternity with Jesus after all of this is over. 
You can't choose whether life will be difficult or not, but you can choose which one you'll embrace. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, it may be more rewarding to follow Jesus and know my purpose, but it's still more difficult too. You just said that. What if I can't handle it? I can guarantee you won't be able to handle it. I can guarantee you won't be able to handle it. And that's the best part. It's not up to you to handle it. It wasn't up to Moses to handle it. God's answer to Moses when he said, who am I, Lord, was not, you're a great guy, Moses. You're way smarter than you give yourself credit for, Moses. You can do anything if you just believe in yourself, Moses. People love you, Moses. People love you, Moses. He didn't say any of that. In fact, he didn't even answer who Moses was. Look at his response in verse 12. He says, but I will be with you. The I, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipresent God. God. You see, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're capable of or what you're not capable of. What matters is whether or not God is with you. Fun little experiment for those of you who really love to study the Bible. Go through your scripture and find, do a search, find out how many times God says, I am with you or I will be with you. It's a lot. It's a lot of times. There's a lot of times where God says that. It's important, but why? Why does this matter? Let's come back to the the rubber meets the road here for a minute. Why does the omnipresence matter? Isn't it just a big theological term? It matters. It's important to us because if God is in every specific place at once, it means no matter how difficult the call on my life is, God is with me and he will supply me with everything I need to accomplish his purpose. You see, the the omnipotence of God says, I'm secure. I can't thwart anything God has done. He is sovereign. The omniscience of God says, I'm safe. God hears me. God has seen. God is acting on my behalf, even when I don't feel it or understand it. The omnipresence of God says, I am supplied with everything that I need to accomplish the task that God has called me to. Because everywhere I go, there he is. Now, what specifically are we supplied with? I'll do this quick and we'll wrap this up. Three things that we're supplied with by the omnipresent God in our life. Number one, we're supplied with the gospel. The gospel. In other words, this is the power of God working outside of me. Now, I love to ask this question because I think it's such an important question that is often um, not not emphasized enough, and that is, what is the gospel? Because that's one of those kind of hot-button terms, right, that we we love to use. It's a very very popular, especially popular about 10 years ago, the whole gospel-centered movement. Everything was gospel. Gospel Gospel-centered marriage, gospel-centered parenting, gospel-centered singing, gospel-centered preaching, gospel-centered eating. It was like there were books on everything. But what does it mean? What does the gospel mean? It simply means good news. It's just good news. Euangelion, the Greek word for gospel, it literally just means good news. And I always like to say, what makes good news good but the existence of bad news? Although, If there's no bad news, then good news isn't good news. It's just news, right? <laughs> there's nothing to, to compare and contrast to. So what is the bad news that we face as human beings? That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That from birth we are separated from God, that we have no fellowship with him. And that is all of us. That is every single person, regardless of your, your gender, race, age, whatever, socioeconomic position. We are all born separated apart from God. And so one of the things that the omnipresence of God supplies us with is the gospel The message, the good news that Christ has lived a perfect life, that he has died on the cross, and that he rose again three days later for the forgiveness of your sins and to grant eternal life to all who would believe and have faith in him. That is good news. 
So, so one thing that God has supplied us with is the gospel. Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my what? Witnesses, right. Witnesses for what? What are we witnessing to? The gospel. The gospel, what Jesus has done. Yes, this is your role to be a witness. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? He's talking about non-Christians. How will they call on God if they've never believed on him? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How can they believe in Jesus if they've never even heard of Jesus? And he says, and how are they to hear about Jesus without someone preaching? And you go, aha. (laughs) That's what we pay you for. That's what we pay you for. (laughs) I'm not a preacher. I'm just a regular Christian. That's your job. If only it were that easy. If only it were that easy. Thanks for playing. Yes. The Greek word here, keruso, for preaching, it literally just means to proclaim. To announce. To, To announce. To announce what? The gospel. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has accomplished for us. So you proclaim, and by the way, that's your whole job. That's your whole job you have in this. One job. One job. <laughs> You don't need to do a fancy sales pitch. You don't need to be a a great public speaker. You don't need to be a biblical scholar. You have one job, and that is to announce good news, and you let God work out the rest of the details. Because you see, when you announce the gospel, the gospel has power to change people. Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The word there for power, it's the Greek word dunamis, It's the word from which we get our word dynamite. So you can think about it this way. The the gospel, sharing good news with someone, it's like lighting a stick of dynamite and throwing it into a room. It changes the room, right? You don't have to do any, you just light it and throw it. That's all you got to do. You just got to deliver the news and let the gospel, the power of God for salvation, let it do its job. For Fleming's sake, that... Dynamite is one step up from tannerite. Tannerite, yeah, exactly. This is not to blow up pigs. Yeah. This is... Yeah, this you is know, t- when we put tannerite <laughs> in, a, in a mesquite tree right. and shoot it from 100 yards, it changes it things. It changes things. It changes There's stuff. a reaction that takes place. That's what the gospel does. Absolutely. I got to have to make application where people where are. people are, right. Yeah, Meet exactly. them where they are, absolutely. Did you get that? Okay, got but, it. But see, here's the thing. I, we, we get so freaked out about this, right? People get very nervous about this. You know, I, it's a scary proposition to have to, to, to share the gospel. But, but, but why, though? I mean, think about this logically. Why is it scary? You're not being tasked to, to do anything beyond just sharing good news that you believe that brought you to faith. If that person doesn't come to faith, you don't, like, lose heaven points. And you don't have to get into a, you don't have to get in a slug and match or a big no. argument about it. no. You just proclaim the good news, and God is accountable for the results. God is sovereign, right? We talked about that last week. He's omnipotent. He's going to, get, he's going to do his work in his timing. His, his purposes will not be thwarted. But listen, in a world that we live in right now, I think everyone, if they were being gut-level honest, would, would admit, yeah, I've done things that I, that I regret. I've done, I've done things that I'm ashamed of. I've done things that I would prefer other people not know about. I've done, I have secrets in my life that I don't want people being aware of. We are in touch when we get honest with ourselves with the fact that something's wrong. Something is broken inside of me. And so for you to come along and say, yeah, there is something broken, but guess what? God loves you anyways, and he made a way for you to have a restored relationship with him. Who doesn't want to hear that? Who doesn't want to hear that? And, and some of you may be thinking, well, well but, but, but the world right now is, is so hostile towards, towards Christianity that they'll just reject me. I can guarantee you the world was way more hostile towards Christianity in Paul's day than it is right now. We may get there. We but... may get there, but we're not there yet. 
One of the things that he supplies us with is the gospel. Secondly, we'll do this quickly, the gifts. So the gospel is the power of God working outside of me. The gifts are the power of God working through me. And what I mean by that is literally the spiritual gifts, the gifts right. that the Holy Spirit imparts to every believer when we come to faith. If you are a Christian right now, you have been given at least one spiritual gift to use to effectively bring about the kingdom of God on earth. Paul likens this to the human body. He says that the body is filled with many different parts, thumbs, eyes, nose, ears. And when all of those parts are working together and doing their specific role, the body is healthy. And who's the head of the body? It's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> when you don't know the answer, just say, say Jesus. Jesus. You yes. can't be wrong. Jesus. Romans 12, 6, Paul says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. All Christians have one. They're used for the benefit of the kingdom. So, so what is happening when I use a spiritual gift that God has given me? The power of God that God is supplying me with is being worked out through me. So let me ask you a question. Do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know your gifting? Have you even tried to figure it out? Or, or better, some of you know your spiritual gift. Are you using it? And, and you may be going, well, but COVID. COVID what? <laughs> COVID's not preventing anyone from using their gifts. When, when God's, listen, when God's people don't use their spiritual gifting, it's never a problem of supply. It's always a problem of submission. You're all, you've all, we've all been supplied with the gifts. It's not, that's not an issue. God's supply is very high pretty unlimited. So when we're not using it, it has nothing to do with his supply in my life. It has to do with my submission to it. Amen? Third, we get not only the gospel, we get not only the gift, but we get the gift giver, the power of God working in me, the Holy Spirit himself. The Spirit not only gives me gifts, but the, the Spirit himself comes and takes residence in my life, in my heart. What is he doing in me? Let me give you five things. There's a lot more. Uh, he brings Jesus' words to my remembrance. That's John 14, 26. He intercedes for me when I pray. When I don't have words to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for me, Romans 8, 26. He brings hope to my life when I feel hopeless, Romans 15, 13. He gives me wisdom to know all the things that James just talked about a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 2.13. He transforms me into Jesus' image, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I could go on. I hope you understand that the omnipresence of God is important. It means that no matter how difficult God's task is, God's purpose is for my life, I will always be supplied to face it because God himself is with me. See, all these things are so practical. The omnipotence of God says you're secure. You cannot thwart. You can try to make as many dumb mistakes as you want. You will not thwart the purpose of God. The omniscience of God says that you're safe, that God has heard you, that God sees you, that God is acting on your behalf. And the omnipresence of God says you'll be supplied to take on whatever he calls you to. You see, you may be in an identity crisis. I suspect many of you are. We all, we all have seasons of identity crisis. But before we can answer rightfully who we are, we have to know who God is. This is who God is. And that's so important for Moses at that particular point yeah. in his life. And every one of us have been there and will be there again. Moses had life worked out. Yeah. And it changed. Bad. In a moment yes. it changed. Yes. And now he's on the backside of Midian in the desert as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And it didn't work. 
for what Moses had planned. But you see, he wasn't going to subvert God's purpose. Nope. So God comes to him and says, now I've heard, I see, I've come down. The fullness of time has come. I will bring my people out. I will bring them in. And Moses, you will be my instrument. And I will be with you. And Moses goes, who am I? God says, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. That's right. Now, next week, we're going to talk about who we are in light of. For three weeks. For three weeks. So we know how much you love us to talk about you. <laughs> and so we're going to do it for three weeks in a row. We are our favorite subject. Absolutely. Probably not from a biblical viewpoint. No. When we hear it from that. No. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the way you revealed yourself to Moses. And, and then as you revealed yourself all through the rest of your word, we can come back to Moses' experience and we know fully what you were saying in those simple words because you've revealed yourself more completely in Jesus Christ and in your written word. Thank you for that encounter. And each one of us, Lord, as we encounter that burning bush in the middle, in the middle of that crisis, in the middle of that time, in that moment, when we are certain we are alone, when we are certain you're not hearing, when we're certain you are not going to act to accomplish your will and your purpose in us and through us, in that moment, to go back to Exodus 3 and remember what you did through a man whose life was on the line for killing someone. Yet, he was not beyond your mercy and grace, nor your purpose. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless y'all. Oh, it's snowing. It's snowing. Oh, it's snowing. It's Look snowing. at that. I mean, it, it is flat snowing. It's coming down. Wow. Snowvid 19. You see, you come to church, God blesses it. <laughs>